love us no matter what we've done with our lives. You've loved us when we were kids and innocent. You loved us when we were teens and struggling. You loved us, God, when we've made bad decisions and burnt bridges and blown up relationships. You love us, God. And you've loved us when from our end we've succeeded. You've loved us through every aspect of life. Just, God, what an amazing thought that is. And um, we just want to rest in that knowledge this morning, Lord, because it changes everything for us. We don't have to perform. We don't have to do. We don't have to um, measure up. We just receive your love. Thank you, God, for being faithful, for making us, for choosing us, for being with us right now, Lord. Speak to us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Are you grateful for the band? I appreciate them so much. Um, we are so glad that you're here. If it's your first time, we want to welcome you. If uh, maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure that the building's going to hold up since I came in. I've been away a long time or never been back. Uh, you're in the right place. God's got some just some good stuff. Um, if you've been here a long, long time, we encourage you to, to uh, sign the welcome books. Uh, everybody sign the welcome books. That way we can kind of, uh, we can stay in touch. We can uh, love on you. We can, we have your information, all that good stuff. And in a second, there's going to be a chance to, to give too, to give financially, to give so that God's kingdom can go forward and to just give as a, as a reminder to us that everything we have comes from God. Um, Chris mentioned at the beginning of service um, the the meals that we did through the 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 uh, gifts of the canned goods and the money a few weeks ago twenty three thousand meals to Greater Lansing Food Bank that's so so cool and um, for me I, I'm sitting down there thinking you know we did sixty thousand in February to Haiti sixty something thousand. Uh, about a total of about 85,000 meals we've helped provide for people who are hurting and we've provided them in the name of Jesus. That's, that's a cool thing. I'm glad to be, I'm jazzed to be a part of a church that can do that, that, um, do that. Um, we are, um, we're in the midst of a series, uh, called turning points, those defining moments in our lives where all of a sudden the path changes. You're going down one direction, and all of a sudden God uh, makes you makes you take a turn, maybe a ninety degree turn. Um, but those moments in life where, through one thing or another, God changes the trajectory of our lives. Um, where where the that theme comes from the book of Joshua. Uh, as we've studied through the book of Joshua over and over again, there are these seminal moments, these defining moments, these turning points in the nation of Israel. For whether they choose to follow God and move forward or whether they turn their back on him, um, it's, that's true of individuals as well as for the nation of Israel as well. So uh, in Joshua 1, we talked about Joshua as Moses dies and Joshua assumes the leadership for this giant nation that comes out of the wilderness where they've been for 40 years. 
And God says to Joshua, as the new leader, be strong and courageous. If you find yourself today in a place that that you're feeling overwhelmed, you think, oh, man, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can follow God in this. Be strong and courageous. Joshua 2, we talked about Rahab, this whole idea that God uses incredibly unlikely people, people like you and me, people that aren't necessarily the world's smartest, the world's brightest, the best resource. He used a hooker named Rahab, a, a prostitute. To save the spies and to communicate back to the nation of Israel that God's plan was in place and he was, he was going to do it. That they, that they were melting in fear, the, the people of Jericho. Um, Rahab makes a deal with the spies and says, you know what, I'll shield you. I'll take care of you if you take care of me. If when you come in and destroy the city, please preserve myself, my family. And, um, and the spies said... We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll take care of you. And we'll actually see that uh, fleshed out in today's in today's message. Um, Then we talk about the nation as they came to the Jordan River and the and everything that was there. The whole idea that God provided for them, that through the work of God, um, the river opened up and the nation moved across the Jordan into the promised land. Buzz last week talked about about navigating change, the change that comes when you go from where you've been to where you are. Um, I don't know about you, but it's I love it when Buzz preaches, when Chris preaches and I get to listen um, this week. Buzz's message just kept echoing through my mind. The, the whole idea that. That as we navigate through change, right, as, as we experience the loss of change, when we, when we think back about where we've been and, and all that that's been, and God has someplace else for us to go, but we're not there yet. We're in this place called the neutral zone, right? And that, the, that from the end of Joshua 5, I, I, Buzz's words just rang so clear. It's actually the words of God, not the words of Buzz, um, that, that said, you know, that, that neutral zone, that place where you are in the middle is holy ground. That's incredible because most of the time we want to get from there to there, right? As fast as possible. But to recognize that God is in the neutral zone for us. He doesn't leave us alone. And if you're caught there, if you're in that place of navigating change and you don't know what's out in front of you, God is there with you. It's holy ground. We're in Joshua 6 today. So if you've got your Bibles, take out your Bibles. If you've got your uh, electronic devices, uh, turn there as well. Uh, it's going to be up on screen as well. And today we're dealing with Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. How many of you were in high school choir? A few of you. How many of you wish you were in high school? No. Um, you know, for me, high school, I remember Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. My Lord, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. You remember that? Okay, give me some finger snaps. Here we go. Everybody. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You may talk about your men of Gideon, you may talk about your men of old, but there's none like good old Joshua and the battle of Jericho. 
Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You guys are so much better than first service. <laughs> I, I said to first service, you are so white. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. No, no. Um, Old Negro spiritual, right? Tells the story that we're going to see played out in Joshua 6. Um, what happens? Nation of Israel is there. God has appeared. Uh, the Lord has come and, and talked to, to uh, Joshua and said, you're on holy ground. You're ready to go into the promised land. And, and Joshua 6 starts with this description that says, okay, this is what it looks like. There's this nation of Israel, probably somewhere around two and a half million people on the plains outside of Jericho. And people in Jericho shut down the city. They uh, shut their gates. It's a big walled city. Uh, One of the things I read said that the walls were probably at least five feet thick, wide enough to drive a car on top of. Thick walls all the way around the city. It was a fortified city. This was one of the cities that when the 12 spies had been sent out 40 years earlier, that the spies came back and said, man, their walls are too strong. Their cities are too fortified. Their walls go up into the sky. There's no way that we can take them. That's the picture. And so the people in Jericho saw this nation out there. They knew something was up. They shut the gates down. And that's what, that's where we are as we enter Uh, Verse one of chapter six. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. That's called a siege, right? And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Um, We're going to kind of work through the scripture. I just want to share some thoughts as we go through and then kind of bring that together at the end. Here's the first point I want to make. Look at the wording that's there. The Lord says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. What what tense is that? It's present, progressive. God already did it, right? It's past. Yeah, Uh, it's not. He doesn't say I will give Jericho into your hands. I've already done it. I have already done the work. I've laid the foundation. All you have to do is carry out my instructions. I have given Jericho into your hands. For so much of our lives, we miss what God has already done in our lives, right? We try, we push, we try and think, oh, God, please do this in the future when when God has already done the work for us. He's already forgiven us, right, on the cross. He's done that work. He's, uh, He's working in us. His change in us is not complete, but that change has happened. I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and its mighty men of valor. These were the guys that when the spies had come in 40 years earlier, that the spies had said, these guys are too big. Their shoulders are too big. They're too tall. They're too strong. They've got too much armor. God says, those guys that you were scared of, that, that, um, that you said couldn't be beaten 40 years ago, I've already placed them in your hands. What an incredible promise. Um, What is it that God has placed in your hands that 
He's just waiting for you to follow through and be obedient. And um, in uh, 1993, Christmas 1993, I've, I've I told a little bit of this story before. I have an aunt, um, had some resources in, in um, 1993. She wasn't married. Uh, she has since married, but uh, never had any kids. And she, and she said to all of her nieces and nephews, 13 nieces and nephews, she said, when I die, Everything I have is going to go to you guys. I don't have anybody else to give it to. And I would rather give it to you. I, I, I would rather spend it with you now than give it to you when, I, when I'm dead and gone to just dump it on you and not ever see you enjoy it. I want to spend it with you. So here's the deal. This was our Christmas present in 1993. I will take you and your spouse on a trip anywhere that you want to go in the country. Anywhere you want to go, a week-long trip, I'll pay for everything. Only, only rule is no kids. Okay, I want it to be with with you and your spouse. That's an incredible offer, right? Everybody says, I want to have an aunt like that, right? Actually, the challenge is I want you all to be an aunt like that, right? That's 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 the cool thing, because she's she just had an incredible impact on our family. That was 1993 in 19 in November of 1993. Our daughter Gabrielle was born. So we get this Christmas present. We've got a six week old baby. Right. So we can't go on a trip. We can't even think about planning a trip because no kids. So Gabe goes through the process. She gets weaned. She gets big enough that we're thinking, ah, we can go on this trip with Aunt Lynn now. And Deb's pregnant with our son, Josiah. So she goes through the pregnancy, uh, you know, takes care of Joe. It's now three years later. Joe's just getting mobile enough that we're thinking we can go on a trip. And I changed jobs. I moved from uh, Maryland to Missouri. So with any new job, you know, time's kind of in transition. Takes a little a bit of time to get used to the whole process. We're in Missouri. Get about the third year into Missouri, and, and we're thinking... Let's go to Alaska with Aunt Lynn. This is going to be incredible. And Deb's pregnant with Micah. Um, and so that kind of puts things on hold. Uh, we go through the whole process. It was 2009, 2009, before um, we were able, that's, yeah, count that, 1993, 2009, 16 years later. Before we're able to take Aunt Linda up she, on, on her offer. I have given you this trip. But you just need to receive it. God says to us. I've, God says to the nation of, of Israel. I've given you the city of Jer- Jericho. You just need to go in and take it. God says to us over and over again. I have given you things that can transform your lives. But you need to accept them. You need to take them on my terms. Verse three. Um, you shall march around the city. Here are the terms um, for for what's going to happen. I've given Jericho into your hand with its mighty with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make the uh, long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up. Everyone straight before him. Here's the picture. God says, this is what's going to happen. 
you're going to march around the city the first, the first time. You're going to have a group of soldiers that go in front, the Ark of the Covenant, and then a group of soldiers that go behind. We don't, we don't really know. Uh, commentators aren't clear. The scripture's not real clear whether it's just talking about the 40,000 soldiers that are mentioned in Joshua chapter 4 that are there that lead across the Jordan River, whether it's the 600,000 fighting men that Numbers mentions as, as they're ready to enter the promised land, or whether it's the two, two and a half million of the whole nation that march around the city. It's a big bunch of people that march around the city. But they're going to go around the city, walk, stand perfectly silent. But all the time that they're walking, the priests are going to be blowing these ram's horns. Now, in your mind, I think, Oh, the, the pictures, you've got all these guys in their, in their armor. It looks great. You know, sun shining down, silver glistening, that kind of thing. The, the trumpets were ram's horns. They were the horns from a ram hollowed out to, to make that awful sound you hear at football games, right? After first service, Joe Ingram came up and said, you want a horn? He ran home and got it. So I've never done this before. That's pretty good, wasn't it? I did that well. Um, the whole, the, this whole entourage walks around the city in complete silence with these trumpets, or with the ram's horns blowing as they walked. It had to be an incredible sight. And it had to just really play with the minds of the people in Jericho, right? The first day... The sound is just walking. The, the people are moving around the city. The sound of the trumpets is going around. The first day, I think the people in Jericho had to be frightened to death. It was like, what's going on? We're getting ready for battle. But they finished their circuit and stopped. And they go back to their camp. The second day, the same thing happens. They start their circuit. The trumpets are going. You've got the soldiers, the Ark of the Covenant, and then more soldiers Walking around, trumpets blowing, everybody in in complete silence. The third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, everything's the same. I think probably by the fifth or sixth day, the people in Jericho were going, what is it with with these people? They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They can't figure out that in order to attack the city, you have to attack the walls and come in. They're, They're just... Going around and around. And, and probably by the fifth or sixth day, they're saying, yeah, the Israelites are going around. They're doing laundry, fixing meals, playing cornhole in the middle of Jericho. You know, just doing their stuff. I think that they probably made fun of them. They began to, to shout catcalls at the Israelites who are walking around in silence. I think the spirit of the Israelites was probably radically different. I think that first day there was this sense of of anxiety, of tentativeness. They knew what God had told them to do and they were doing it, but it just didn't make sense, right? It seemed kind of dumb. We, okay, we walk around in silence. And when, when God gives the word at the end, when Joshua tells us to, we shout. What's going to happen then? God said he'd give us the city. But there had to be this sense of just, I don't get this at all. But I think as the week went on, there began to be a sense of excitement in the Israelites. That they were going to see the hand of God work in a way that they had never imagined or thought of before. Uh, 
down in uh, into verse four, coming into verse five. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, um, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the shout of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout. The walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said, Take the Ark of the Covenant. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the trumpets, of, uh, the trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets. Rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the, of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. They came into the camp, spent the night to the camp. Verse 12, they rose up and, and, and they repeat the cycle for the next six days. End of 14 says, uh, second day they marched around the city once, returned to the camp. They did so for six days. And then in verse 15, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. All silver and gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword. There, there are two questions. I think when you read that, all of a sudden you go to, to two places real quickly. The first is this. How did God do that? Right. Our minds beg for some kind of explanation. Was it an earthquake? Did God send an earthquake and the and the and um, uh, and the ground shook, and so the walls fell down at just that time. That, that's possible. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that an earthquake in 1927 caused a landslide that stopped the Jordan River, stopped it just like Scripture desca- describes it, just about the same place. Did God use an earthquake, or was it that the sound of the shout of this nation, two and a half million people, it created these sound waves that somehow were on the right frequency. and should, I, We don't know. Here's what we do know. God said, this is what's going to happen. And it happened. Just as he said. At just the time, he said. Our brains want to figure out how it happened. We don't, we don't know. But it happened just like God said. The second question is, is really... It's a hard, hard question. It's a troublesome question, right? God said, destroy everything in the city. 
Only the gold, silver, the bronze and iron. Those go into the treasury for, for God. Everything else gets killed and burnt up. Um, we struggle to make sense of that, right? Because we think it makes sense that you'd kill all the soldiers. But the old people and the children and the women and all the animals, why, why would God do that? And the answer is, Scripture is not clear to tell us why. Only that God commanded it and the Israelites carried it out. For us in 2015, that seems, that seems really unfair, right? It seems like ethnic cleansing. It, it, seems, it, it seems messed up. And yet God had created the world, right? God had created the Canaanite countries. God had created the people of Jericho, and they had chosen to reject him. God had the ability to, to, to take care of them, to wipe them out, to authorize their destruction. Well, um, I, I said we, we got a bunch of boatload of kids, six kids. They're uh, mostly all grown now. But when the kids were little and we had either Legos or blocks, um, the, the kids would build towers, right? They would build towers that would take 20 or 30 minutes to build. Who was allowed to knock the towers down? It was, the, it was the kid who made the tower, right? One kid couldn't build the tower and another kid come along and, and, and knock it down because that wasn't that fair. The tower belonged to the child that built that tower. Jericho was created by God. And God, as creator of the universe, had the ability to say, I want everything destroyed. It was his right, his ability. It's so important that we get that, that we grasp that. Because without that truth, without that reality, we miss the seriousness of sin. We miss, we can't understand how critical it is that Jesus had to come and die for us because God made us and we rejected him. And God, in his holiness, said, you know what? If you reject me, you're going to be destroyed. Jericho had rejected God. And so um, he authorizes the Israelites to destroy the city. One commentator said that he felt like um, Jericho was wiped out completely. They didn't keep anything except for the gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Because it was the first city in Canaan that the Israelites... Um, that, that the Israelites defeated. And it was kind of the first fruits of the land of Canaan. That, it would, that, that the fact that when Israel just fully destroyed Jericho, that it would strike fear in every city throughout the land of Canaan and allow the Israelites to come in and, um, and possess the land. I, uh, one, one explanation there. You know, I think the, the hardest thing is that when you stop to think about it, there is this moral quandary for us, isn't there? We say, yeah, God's creator and God's good. It doesn't seem right that he should just wipe out the city from the face of the earth. What's interesting is where does that thought come from in us? Where, do, where does the thought come from that says that ought not be that that city should be destroyed? 
If God didn't make us, if God, if God didn't create the moral law that's written on our heart, we wouldn't have that sense. It would be okay to say, yeah, go in and wipe them out. They're not us. Who cares? Do you understand that that sense of, of uh, tension in us, that sense that says this doesn't seem right, that's because God has written a moral code on our lives and because God is the creator of the universe. There's one other the application of this whole destruction thing that I, that I just want to share with you. For me, as a kid growing up in church and reading through the Old Testament, I think, Lord, so many times you just destroy cities and that just doesn't make any sense to me. Until I read in the New Testament, scripture like in Colossians chapter 3 that says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. In Joshua 23, God says to Joshua, destroy the cities of Canaan so that they won't be a trap, a snare for you as you come in and possess the land. God knew that if the nation of Israel allowed those civilizations, those cities, those cultures to stay there, that what would happen is that the Israelites would lose their focus on God, that they would build relationships with the people around them, and that they would become a distraction first. And then they would become a snare. They would trap them. They would mess up their concept of who God was. They would begin to, um, that the Israelites would begin to worship the idols of those cultures. And the Israelites didn't destroy all the cities. And what God predicted happened completely. Their history then became a history of being entrapped by the peoples around them and the cultures around them. How's that feel with Colossians 3? I think that that Paul's letter to the Colossians, when he says, put to death, therefore, all these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, sexual immorality, put those things to death, because if you allow them to live in your life, they will become a trap and a snare that will pull you from me. So much of the time we want God, but we want to maintain a foothold in the world around us, right? We want to dabble in those things. We say, yeah, it's okay for me to get angry about this because they treated me poorly. It's okay for me, for me to mess with sexual immorality. It's not really that bad. Cultures embraced it. And Paul says to the church in Colossae, put to death those things. I think that there's a parallel force from the Old Testament to the New Testament in, in terms of what God asked Israel to do and what God asks us to do. Verse 22 to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring her and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. 
And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold, vessels of bronze and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua, saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What an incredible story of the redemption of God in the midst of destruction, right? God held true to his word. God took this woman with this horrible past. This woman that that probably most of us would shun and not have anything to do with. And God saves her from the destruction. She and her family, they become integrated into um, the Israelite nation. And she ultimately becomes one of the ancestors for David, ultimately for Jesus. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. You know, you read the story and there's all kinds of, I don't know about you, but as I read through this chapter, so many things come to my mind. My mind. Some, so many things I have questions about. Why did they walk in silence? Why did God want them to do that? Couldn't they have just talked, you know, as they walked? Couldn't they have played cards or word games or something as they're walking around the city? God said, no, I want you to be silent. Why was that? I don't know. I, I think that when you walk with purpose, your mind is engaged and you're thinking about all kinds of things. I think that they were thinking about the power of God. They were thinking, is God really going to do what he said he did? Now, I think that they were thinking, this is so weird to be in Canaan. This is so different than what we've experienced being in the wilderness. In that silence, I think God spoke. So many questions. I, I, I wonder, why is it that they had to walk around the city how many times before the walls fell? How many times was it? Six days? Seven? The last Thirteen times they had to walk around the city. Thirteen times. Why so many times? Why didn't God just say, walk around the city, shout, walls fall down? I think it was because God wanted the nation of Israel to understand in no uncertain terms that he was the God of the universe, that he held everything in his hand, and the timing was his completely. The God of Israel from this time is the same God that we serve today. He's the Lord of the universe. He, he has power over every aspect of our lives, and, and we can trust him. Um, Jericho, uh, I, I think a lot about Jericho. Think for a second, not a question, but just an observation. Jericho trusted its power, right? It had these huge walls that had scared the Israelites off 40 years before. They shut the gates because they thought, we can survive here forever. There's springs around inside the city. We've, we, they had just harvested. Um, they, they have all kinds of food. They can withstand a siege. They trusted in the power of their walls. And ultimately their walls became their destruction. Is that so different from us? There's so many things in our lives that we think, you know what, 
I've got that under control. I'm pretty good at that. Um, I, I have the ability to make a good living. I've got these skills. Um, you know, I can do it on my own. That's just what Jericho said. And any time that we take that path, understand that we risk those things that we put our trust in becoming our destruction. Um, let me just share some takeaways from this story that for me are simple and then some, some applications as well. The simple applications are this. The first one, um, God has a plan. God has a plan that was years in the making for Israel to take Jericho, right? God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham and his descendants. God had had this plan that had been in place for hundreds of years. All the Israelites had to do was trust him and trust that plan. Second takeaway, God's plan may look, I have stupid, God's plan may look goofy, but it'll work. There are so many times that you think the Israelites had to say, okay, we're supposed to walk around the city one time each day for six days. And then walk around the city seven times on the seventh day and then shout. Yeah, that's it. We're not supposed to do a battering ram against the walls of the city. No, we're not supposed to dig trenches around this walled city. No, we're not supposed to have archers with flaming arrows to try and burn the city up. No, we're supposed to walk around the city 13 times over the course of a week. And God's going to deliver the city. Yeah. So many times God's plans don't seem to make any sense. They involve simple things. Ram's horns. Common stuff. Walking. Common stuff. A shout of the nation. Common stuff. And supernatural things happen. The the walls fall down. God's plan for the nation of Israel depended upon faith, obedience, and death. Right. God's plan for the nation of Israel depended on obedience, faith and death. The Israelites had to obey God's instructions for how to take the city. What would have happened if the Israelites had built a battering ram, had tried to attack the city? I'm convinced without a doubt that they would have been destroyed by the people of Jericho. They had to obey God's instructions. They had to have faith that God's instructions were full and complete and would take them where they needed to go, that would provide the victory for them. And the walls fell by faith, not by power. God wanted the destruction of of the city of Jericho, the complete and total destruction of the city of Jericho, so that they wouldn't become a snare to the Israelites, Joshua 23 says. So here's the question. What's your Jericho? If you're going from here to there, and, and here's your Jericho. Here's the place that God has you going. What, what's your Jericho? What is it that God has been preparing you for? Well, what is it that he has in mind for you? Because in your Jericho, here's the application. God has a plan that's been years in making. God has a plan that has been years in the making for you in your life in the future, and you can trust him. God has a plan for you, and you can trust him. Are you there? 
God has a plan. You can trust him. It's been years in the making from the Garden of Eden forward. Genesis 3, from the time that sin entered the world and God said, you know what, I'm going to make a way to stomp the head of the servant, the serpent. I'm going to make a way so that, there, so that redemption can happen, so that you can have a relationship with me. I'm going to do it. God's had a plan. We can trust him. God's plan in your life may look foolish. It may look stupid. It may look goofy, but it'll work. That plan may include little, simple stuff, stuff like a random conversation. I had a conversation with... Um, Brenda Miller, several weeks ago, she's facing cancer, trying to figure out where she was supposed to go. And she said, you know, one place is in Fair, Fairfax, Virginia. And I said, I know people there. I made a, a phone call to some friends there. Brenda's living with these people for about six or eight weeks while she's getting the care that she needs there. And God has been so much in the middle of that. It's been incredible for the family that they're staying with and for, for Brenda and, and Roger and their family as well. Simple things. God may be in a conversation. He may be in a Facebook post or a tweet or a pin on Pinterest. God, God may work in simple everyday things or he may work in supernatural ways, in a, in a supernatural healing in, in your life or in the life of someone else. God may work through a song in the car. He may work through a message on the back of a truck. He, you know, he may work in all kinds of ways. God's plan may look foolish, but we can trust him. God's plan in your life depends on obedience, faith, and death. The death of Jesus enables God's plan in our lives to be put into place. The destruction, the death and destruction of Jesus came so that we could have the relationship with God, so that God's plan for us could be put um, into place, could be empowered. We have to have faith to live that out on a daily basis. Faith that Jesus' death can make our relationship right with God. That faith has got to transform what we believe in our head into action in our lives. We've got to have obedience to the Lordship of Jesus, allowing him to have complete control. You know, we started singing Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Um, Negro spiritual 175, 200, 225 years ago. Why did, why did the slaves in America sing Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? It's because it was a song of hope in the middle of oppression, right? It was a song that reinforced that God was in control, that God could win the battle in spite of their circumstances, that they didn't have to take matters into their own hands. It was a song that reminded them that they could trust God no matter what, that God would deliver on his word. Jericho was a turning point Jericho was a turning point for the nation of Israel. It was a turning point for Rahab and all of her family. It was a turning point for Joshua as the leader of this nation. What's your Jericho? 
Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of your intervention in human history. The story of how you've worked. And God, even when we don't understand stuff, um, the story of your goodness, the story of your character, the story of the redemption that you provide for us. God, I, I pray right now for everybody who's here. God, our Jerichos look very different. For some of us, there's health issues, Lord. For some of us, there's stuff at work. For for some stuff in our families that we look at those things and they look like this city with 50-foot high walls that are five feet thick. We think that there's no way that we could ever penetrate them. No way that they could ever come down. God, I ask that you would do do a work in us, that we would be able to trust you, that we would sense that we have, that that, that, that your plan is right for us and that we can trust you in that. God, that you would do your work in us, that we could, that we could live lives of faith and be obedient, that we could die to self like Jesus. God, help us, help us to see you, help us to hear your voice and to follow and to shout. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.